Today, as I mentioned, it's about, it's about fear. And there's a, there's a story that I want to tell that was me experiencing fear and how that affected my life. So I was working and, uh, and I had a meeting. But before I uh, had children, I had a problem getting up in the morning. I wasn't very disciplined. So I was consistently late for work and it drove my boss nuts. It was so frustrating to him and it was frustrating to me because it was just a, it was a lack of discipline. It was sloppy on my part, but you know, it, it, it was a thing that was happening inside of my work relationship. And, uh, and one morning I woke up um, about 45 minutes late. I woke up 45 minutes late. Yeah, I was not disciplined. I understand that. And the good thing was, was that there was a meeting that was supposed to happen at a Best Western hotel, not at the office. So I'd already told the staff that I wasn't going to be in on time because of this meeting. So when I woke up 45 minutes late, I was panicked and then I realized, oh, I've got a perfect out. I could just go to work when they expected me and pretend that nothing happened. And, uh, and it's gonna be great. And in that, you know, I, I was like, okay, I'm just not going to tell the whole truth. I'm not gonna tell anything. It's going to be a passive omission of information. And, uh, and that was my plan, and that's the plan that I acted upon. But word got back to my boss that I wasn't at the meeting at the Best Western. Even though I was passive and I just pretended that everything went on normally, my boss found out through other means that I wasn't at this meeting. And what happened was a very hard conversation between me and my boss where trust was broken down. Now, this isn't really, you know, a scary conversation. This is a real-life effect of fear. See, what happened in that story is I experienced a type of fear. I experienced the fear of my boss that was going to be angry at me. And it caused me to change my course of actions and to not act appropriately. I experienced fear in terms of, you know, letting myself down and am I ever going to get this right? Am I ever going to be able to get up in the morning? I didn't know that having children was the solution. And so experiencing fear was this very real experience for me. And it changed the way that I communicated and it changed the way that I acted. So it often makes our outcome worse. So today I'm going to read scripture. And, uh, and our scripture comes from uh, 1 John 4. 13 to 21. First John 4, 13 to 21. I'm going to read it right out of, right out of my Bible today and not off of the screen. That was brilliant. Um, First John 4, 13 to 21. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And so we've come to know and to believe in the love that God has for us. For God is love. Whoever abides in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears 
has not been protected or perfected in love. We love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what we experience in our life are three circles of fear. And I'm just going to draw it out here. The first circle of fear that we experience are our personal fears. And so our personal fears are things that, you know, affect us like, you know, arachnophobia. Arachnophobia is a personal fear. It's not, it's not anything bigger than that. It's something that I'm afraid of. And so we have, we have our personal fears. We then have our societal or our relational fears. This is kind of what I was experiencing. I was experiencing a societal or relational fear when I was, uh, when I was going through this whole Best Western episode. It's the idea that, that something is broken between us and we don't know how to act. And so we try to figure out how to navigate this fear. And finally, we experience a cosmic fear. These are the large fears which we don't actually control anything about. They have often to do with our mortality. COVID-19 is a perfect example of something that links us to our cosmic fear, the fear of death and sickness, the fear that, you know, if I touch somebody who has it, I will get sick and I will probably die, except for, you know, maybe not. Fear is what's driving so many decisions, along with protection. They're coming together, but it links us to our cosmic fear, our cosmic fear is linked to our mortality. It's linked to how we feel about what happens after life, if anything at all. It's linked to, did I fulfill a purpose in life? Was my life worthwhile? And we experience as a society cosmic fear in huge ways right now. Young adults, I remember being a young adult, and we called it young, young adult angst. The sense that I hope my life has purpose. I hope my life has meaning. I hope I'm not just wasting away these years and that me coming and going like a blade of grass that, that, that blooms and then withers away is, is meaningless. We don't want that meaninglessness. And so we experience cosmic fear, relational fear, and personal fear. I'm going to start us today with, with cosmic fear because it's really relevant. See, fear is based in an ins cosmic fear is based in an insecurity and a lack of control. We can't control this virus that's happening. We can't control how long we live. Jesus puts it this way. He says, who of you by worrying, it's in Matthew 6, who of you by worrying can add a single moment of life to you? What are you able to do to push forward your life, to become more purposeful, to become more meaning? And, and who are you able to, uh, to touch and, 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 and grow with? All of these are cosmic fears that I want to know that my life has meaning. And if there is a God, which we fully believe there is, what does God think of me? The cosmic fear of judgment. That what if I didn't do good enough? 
You know, there are probably people in, in this hearing right now that says that I don't know what God thinks of me. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if, if the works that I did, out, the good works that I did outweigh the bad works that I do. And God says, this is the fear that we experience. This is what we experience. So our text today takes us through our, uh, it assures us of three things. It assures us of God's personal love for us. In the face of cosmic fear, we have to look at God's personal love for us. So we see it in, in verse 16. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We've come to know. The NIV says we've come to know and rely on the love that God has for us. And so we take this, this God loves you moment and, and we affirm that this actually works to alleviate our cosmic fear. God is also present with us. Okay, there's a lot of universalism in our world right now where it says God is in you and God is in me and God is, God is everywhere. No, the Bible is very clear that the reason that God is able to be with us is because of the hope of Jesus. It is through Jesus, the one who was divine, becoming human to connect the human to the divine. And there he is, he becomes human and he says, I am with you. And today, when, when, since he has left, he has gone back to the Father, he said, I will send a comforter to be with you. God's presence is with you because of your acceptance of Jesus' work on the cross. His presence is with you not because you did more good than you did bad, but he is with you because of Jesus' work on the cross. And so we know that God's presence is with us. And so we, uh, we, we look at that. And there is no fear in love. Verse 18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. All of our sense of mortality, all of our sense of what might come afterwards, gives us a cosmic fear of punishment. And it says, oh, well, I did that thing. And the gospel of Jesus, it says, God loves you and has done what needed to be done in the person of Jesus so you can have a connection with the divine. This removes fear. The gospel is about dealing with the cosmic fear that all humanity has. So in the face of a disease like COVID-19, we experience peace because God loves you and he's got you through this. He's got you through this entire experience. So if you have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, saying, Jesus, I know that you are God's son, that you came to reveal your nature, yourself, God divine. If you have that confession of faith, then you do not need to fear judgment. That fear has been removed from you because of Jesus. And it also means that you need to be baptized. We're going to reschedule that. So I'm also going to move us on to our, our relational fear. Our relational fear is the next element that we have. See, fear removes our ability to think abstractly. It makes us think concretely. See, 
uh, if you look back a couple of weeks and you can look at our, our or listen to our messages on uh, promisechurch.ca and promisechurch.community, you can also get to our messages. You'll know that when we talked about communicating through conflict, we talked about a fool's choice. And this is what fear does. Fear brings us to a concrete fool's choice, an either or. And in our relational fear, we get into conflict. We get into these, these discussions where we don't know how to address it. And so we think black or white, yes or no, very concretely, rather than abstractly, where you're able to create more ideas. Um, so we kind of think like toddlers. I don't know if you've had a toddler, but I've had a couple of them. And, and toddlers think in absolutes. And they come, they, they don't come up with multiple solutions. They see a problem and they go, we have a problem, we have a problem, what are we going to do? And they don't come up with these solutions because they respond in this concrete way. We have a problem. And so what fear does is it actually brings our mind all the way back to we have a problem. I've got to deal with this fear. There's something happening here that's got to be dealt with. And relationally, that affects us. So maybe you're like me and you don't communicate whole truths because of fear. You don't tell your spouse the reality of what's going on because of fear. Maybe you don't tell, you're listening right now, and you don't tell your mom and dad what happened last night. You don't tell them what you, where you were last night because of fear that they're going to punish you or, or they're going to think differently of you. See, the Bible gives us a great construct for this. You know, we really need to understand that, that forgiveness is something that goes hand in hand with getting rid of fear. And so 1 John 4.20 says that if anybody says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not, who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. What we, what we have here is a reality that says love has to do with forgiveness. We see that forgiveness of wrongs allows the trust of relationship to continue on. Um, so we see that, that, we have to, that we have to forgive. Forgiveness is not a matter of saying it doesn't matter. Oh, it's okay. What you did doesn't matter. No, because it did matter. What forgiveness does is I acknowledge that what you did was wrong. And I am going to choose to love you through it. I'm not letting go of this relationship. And so when we communicate in love, we communicate in forgiveness. Matthew 20 or Matthew 18, 23 to 35. I'm not going to read it. You can look it up or it's in the uh, tablet right now. But this is a story of a rich man who forgave somebody a debt of, say, $10 million dollars. And, and what happened was the debt came due and the, and, the, and the poorer person came to the rich man and said, please, please give me more time. Please forgive my debt. I can't lose my family over this. And the rich man says, I acknowledge that what you did was wrong, but I'm going to forgive you of your debt because I care about you. I love you. I have compassion on you. And what we see in the next piece is a pursuit of judgment or justice over forgiveness. The next piece, the, that servant who was just forgiven goes and finds somebody who owes him maybe $500 and says, justice demands that you pay me back right now. You pay me back because what you did was wrong. And he did not show forgiveness to the person that owed him money. And we see the contrast. 
We see the contrast of forgiveness versus the seeking out for justice on my own behalf. Good justice fighting never fights for justice on my own behalf, but always on behalf of somebody else. So we have, we have confession as a major part of answering the relational fear. Confession and forgiveness is a very old Christian tradition that maybe sometimes we're letting go of. Maybe it's because we think forgiveness is just about, oh, it's okay, I'll move on and we're going to be fine. No. Confession and forgiveness is an admission of wrong and an acknowledgement that wrong was indeed done. And a commitment to the relationship. When we live in a community like Promise Church, where we can deal with problems, people will wrong you. But if you can acknowledge that it was wrong, and then you can say, I forgive you. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins one to another, we will be healed. This healing of relationship happens when we confess and we say, I acknowledge, I did that wrong. And the other person acknowledges as well, yes, you did that wrong. And together they choose to walk in relationship. We see that forgiveness becomes the answer to our relational fear. Forgiveness gives us the basis point that says, I can tell you anything, mom and dad, because I know that even though you're going to acknowledge that what I did was wrong, you're still going to walk with me in relationship. You're not going to excommunicate me. And so this is a really important point for us as, as people. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a, not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. He gave us a spirit that says, I'm going to give you the power to get through this fear. I'm going to give you the power to face this fear. And that brings us to personal fears. He's given us a power of, of a sound mind and of love. See, fear undermines our soundness of mind. When fear comes in, we experience anxiety. We experience a, a higher stress in our thinking patterns, and we reduce to toddlers, as we talked about. And so when we experience personal fear, we experience that, that sense that we've lost that sound mind. And, and 2 Timothy says that God did not give you that spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so personal fear influences our decisions, as we talked about. We can resolve a lot in our personal fears by dealing with the cosmic and relational fears but we're still sometimes left with these personal, sometimes irrational fears. And God's like, I've given you a sound mind. When you experience these personal, irrational fears, my hope for you is that you would verbally, out loud, say, Holy Spirit, I need your peace. I need your peace, your peace that passes, it transcends all understanding that's going on in my feeble mind right now. I need your peace to wash over me, to answer this fear. And our personal fears diminish um, as we constantly communicate with others about the fears that we experience. Be open. Let's have dialogue about the fears we experience. It's not a shameful thing to experience fear. Just waiting for this to recover. I hope that this experience has been a positive experience for you and that God has really uh, encouraged you in this way. Okay. How do we encourage those who have not been accepted by those that are supposed to love and forgive them? For example, parents who disown them to confess and they will be forgiven and loved. Okay, here's the deal. 
we're part of a society that is broken. And every single one of us works inside this broken society, whether you go to church or whether you don't. The reality is that even Christian families are broken. We experience this brokenness and it's a sad thing. And there are times where just simple, you know, confession is, uh, you, you, there may be, you know, consequences that are maybe too strong or a heavy reaction. My prayer is that for parents, that we understand that our job is to love the way that God loves. And God loves so much that he came to be with. He joined with even in the presence of unspeakable evil. So my hope is for parents that as they grow in their faith and their understanding of God, that they will be able to model that for their children. We are the first example of what kids see as God. We are an imperfect example. Let's be honest with that. I just had a, a conversation with Aaliyah yesterday where I was telling her that I try to represent God as best I can, but I'm not perfect at it. We are not perfect examples, but parents try to express the love of God to your child. And yes, it does say what you did was wrong, but it also says, I'm not willing to fully break relationship. I'm not willing to walk away from you because God has not given up on us. Not at one moment has he given up on us. And so my prayer for us as families that we communicate through this, that we understand the value of communicating through these fears because they're very real. The reason why your teen doesn't tell you everything is because they simply might be afraid of your reaction. Confession is like this. I acknowledge I did something wrong. That's so hard. Forgiveness is like this. I acknowledge you did something wrong, but I'm not willing to give up on you. I'm not willing to. And so that's my encouragement. And, uh, and we do pray for families that do experience greater brokenness. Holy Spirit, we thank you for meeting with us in this space. As surprising as it is, the almighty God of the universe meets with us here in this space. What a strange moment. And so we thank you for that. We pray that through this time that you would bind our community together. That you would strengthen our spiritual practices. And that we would be a community that shows love through addressing fear and showing forgiveness. We thank you for your divine love over us, which casts out fear because fear has to do with judgment. We thank you so much for that. And we don't take advantage of it like we just get to do anything, but we get to be refined by your love. Teach us to live the way that you would have us live. Be with us this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and God bless you.